0: Conditions, they are bad, and some of you are sad. You cannot see your enemy, the class that lives in luxury. You would men are poor, will be forevermore, as long as you permit the destiny. Shall we still be slaves and work for wages? It is outrageous, has been for ages. You know, it's funny, uh, Mr. Baldwin, I looked for a song celebrating the uh, the rich folk, and I just couldn't find any.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah, there was no like, Rockefeller, pretty good guy, really appreciate that library he made for us.
1: <laughs> after after uh, using horizontal integration to buy out all of his competitors well, yeah. and then make yeah for low wages. Yeah.
0: You know, there's no, like, real catchy song about I love the way that Carnegie made seat units and now I have to have, you know, X number of hours in my social studies class.
1: That's, you know, that's interesting. I'm surprised that that's not something that's more celebrated by everybody. It
0: it is strange. I mean, it is what has locked us to our desks for the better part of 100 years now. So I guess there is that.
1: Hey, at least it gives us an audience to spew our hot takes. Oh, yeah. No, they are full on captive audience because of your boy uh, Carnegie. So that's cool. Yeah, one of the things about period six that's so interesting is that like the boom of industry kind of explains the entire period. Yeah, like if you if you think about like the rise of industry in America with Carnegie, Rockefeller, all that stuff, um, mm-hmm. it kind of explains the South struggles because people are leaving the South right. uh, and, right. and big numbers, and the South hasn't caught up uh, industrially. Kind of explains the settlement of the West because you have right. new markets, you want new raw materials, you have new transportation out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of explains like the rise of cities, all of the social movements that go with that, corruption yep. politics because of all the money to be had. I mean, yep. it kind of explains everything in a way.
0: And it goes from con- corruption to reform in a, in a probably like a, a full 180. You know, we go from massive uh, economic and political corruption to pretty large sweeping reform movements uh, by the end of this period. So there's a giant swath of uh, of ideas and material to cover. So uh, there you have it.
1: Well, hey, let's dig in. You uh, yeah.
0: you got the people? I got the people once again. And I got to tell you, this period is going to be pretty heavy on you because uh, while there are important people, I think the the concepts are really what drive a lot of, of what we're doing here. So uh, That's true. I'm going to do a quick run through of our the people that I was able to pull out um, of course, we're going to start with the industrialists. Uh, you've got uh, Vanderbilt uh, running railroads, uh, Morgan, J.P. Morgan, um, banking. Uh, you know, single-handedly uh, saving the, the the country on a number of occasions with his uh, loans and his buyouts.
1: And speaking uh-huh. of money and J.P. Morgan, I have a Chase Freedom credit card, um, and that's <laughs> J.P. Morgan Chase is the company. So uh,
0: yeah, yeah, action to today. In case they're oh, I thought you thought in case they were listening that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I thought you were giving them a little plug in case you were worried that they were listening and they might be worried about how we're going to negatively talk about it. Yeah, because, uh, well, J.P.
1: Morgan did fund this, um, so I have a—I'll put a link in the bio for this podcast on how to good. sign up for a credit card.
0: Nice. Yeah, and as a as a very responsible sixteen-year-old, I'm sure credit cards are a great idea.
1: <laughs> <laughs> because I was a very responsible
0: 18- and 19-year-old when I was a freshman in college, and that did not go well for me. <laughs> yeah, those interest rates of 26% bites you pretty good. Yeah, those guys that are just come into the, the uh, colleges when the freshmen come in and are just smiling for some reason. They know that the dum-dums are going to get their credit cards and run up massive debt. But anyways, that's something to look forward to for all you listening. Um, let's see. Uh, Carnegie uh, uh, and uh, Steele. Of course, um, Rockefeller with oil, and we've got a couple well-known names—not uh, so much for their um, industrial might, but their their intellectual might. You've got Edison, Westinghouse, um, with the uh, electrification of America, the the, the AC DC uh, controversy and battle over which one was going to dominate. Um, and then, as I go forward into this, I've got uh, Pullman, uh, maybe one of the lesser known. Of the, uh, of the giants, but well known for his, uh, the massive Pullman uh, uh, railroad car company, nice. and also the strike, the big strike that happens in the Pullman uh, uh, railroad car company and the violence that comes out of that. And uh, Horatio Alger, um, kind of dream big, uh, go out and uh, make, your, make your living, uh, follow your American dream. Um, let's see, as we get forward here, I'm looking at Frederick Law Olmsted as we look at the rise of the cities. Uh, that's an urban designer kind of uh, as we think about cities and cities being planned. Um, The difference between like, for instance, um, New York and Boston being very stark in that uh, Boston was a very organically grown city uh, that was actually a peninsula for a lot of its history. Um, And is a very, for a long time, was a really tricky place to navigate. Um, Whereas a city like New York, um, while very old still was, was planned out, um, in a grid system, so you you see the development of these cities, um, and their 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 structure, their um, the way that people could move around is really planned out in a very intentional way. So um, you can thank uh, people like Olmsted. Um, you cannot thank somebody like Boss Tweed, of course, moving in the opposite direction. Uh, uh, leader of Tammany Hall, famously in New York City, uh, the master of graft. Um, made millions and millions of dollars lined his pockets by taking uh bribes by overcharging and over um spending and 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 basically just being everything that is wrong with uh, corrupt politicians.
1: Uh, yeah, and, and that that example of corruption is something that uh you know when Mark Twain coined the gilded age um you know he said essentially it's shiny on the top uh and it it looks great and then you dig deeper and you you see problems and that could be viewed both in the economic success because so many people were not economically successful despite the boom of big business and also politics um, seeming like everybody's getting along and it's a lot of times because of corruption lining the pockets of politicians
0: Mm -hmm. and and presciently you mentioned twain that was the next person on my list he was Not only known for his literature, but also for a lot of his social commentary, um, including, as you mentioned, the Gilded Age. Um, Pulitzer, uh, and uh, what we now think of as the Pulitzer Prize. um, Or if you're a certain politician in our country, you could think of the Nobel Prize, but if that's not accurate. um, Pulitzer was a a newspaper publisher back in the day, very popular. um, One of the sort of the yellow press, um, known for writing sort of salacious And uh, uh, very kind of scandalous stories that were more interested in um, selling papers than they were than accurately uh, representing the truth. So, um, yeah, then we go forward here with a a, a litany of presidents in this period, including Hayes, Grant, uh, Garfield, Arthur and Cleveland. Uh, They are running the gamut from, you know, Rutherford B. Hayes and and, uh, um, Grant, who doesn't have a catchy nickname. Uh, in terms of his political uh, career, but did have a lot of problems in terms of scandals and corruption. Um, and a better
1: been, A better general than a president,
0: probably. Much, much, much better general than president, no doubt about it. I think he never really was, uh, my opinion, never really was meant to be a politician, but kind of got swept up in the uh, the popularity of being a, a, a famous general within a, a decade or so of, of the Civil War. So unfortunately, Agreed. I think in a lot of ways, I think in some ways he just kind of wasn't aware of what was going on. But again, that's that's my opinion. Um, and as we go forward here, we get uh, as we get towards the the uh, into the Gilded Age and, and, and nearing the 20th century, we start thinking about some of the reformers not quite into. Uh, the reformer presidents that we'll see in the early part of the 20th century, um, but definitely um, starting to be more aware of the issues that are, are arising for the country socially, economically, and politically. Um, and countering that is uh, of the, when we think about the populist movements and what they're kind of champion, um, Williams, Jennings, Bryan, um, you know, the gold standard and raising that gold cross high above to to lead the American people to freedom and um, enlightenment didn't work out for him but he kept trying to his credit he tried a lot to become president and uh and failed over and
1: big big second place guy yeah um definitely and one of the things with the the free silver movement that i always think about is he essentially wanted to inject literally just more money into yeah. the economy yeah. so that more people could get money. And
0: Which, you know, when you think about it in, in terms of economics and economic theory is just the worst thing you can do. <laughs> and it's inflation it's and it devalues everything else. Yeah, it's not a um, not a good answer. It's a simple answer. It's an easy answer, but it's not a good
1: answer. And it and it didn't um I, I think progressives after William Jennings Bryan like mm-hmm. in and Progressive Era in Period Seven kind of realized that systematic changes to the government right. rather than right just injecting a lot of money Knee-jerk. was the way to go about that. Huh. Dumping
0: a lot of money into solve problems, huh?
1: Yeah, hey.
0: Well, anyways, well. moving on. That's all I have. So you're welcome to, to jump in. And uh I because I as I said before, it seems like uh, much of what we're talking about here are based in ideas and events. So I'll uh, I'll cede the time here.
1: Yeah, I mean I think um, like like I said before, the the growth of industry is so huge here because of a number of things. You have transportation expanding west, so railroads yep. are going to be huge. They help the North win the Civil War, but they also enable. Uh, A lot of businesses to now, you know, with the building of several different uh, transcontinental railroads, uh, businesses now can ship goods out to new markets and settlers who were previously apprehensive about going out west or, or any of those kind of things can actually live in a society that looks a lot more like. Um, the society that they're leaving in the East, right. once railroads can bring everything over there, they can recreate something rather than be this barren frontier that people um, sometimes saw it as. Yeah, I mean, it
0: so, is a, an amalgamation of all those factors of, you know, uh, post-Civil War change kind of flux in society with a lot of African-Americans moving north and then, and then out west and um, economics changing and, uh, you know, transportation opening up. It's it's a, I think it's a really great example of the, of the fact that, that nothing happens in a vacuum, that it is a multitude of factors that lead to change or, or whatever it is we happen to be talking about. In history, it is, it's, it's the ability to see all of those factors creating a new picture that, that kind of allows you to push that practice of, of, of reading and
1: learning history. And and that is exactly how I would describe uh, the thing I was going to talk about next, which mm-hmm. is the change from farming to non-farming jobs. Yeah, is that you can't boil it down to one specific. Correct. L- like you said, amalgamation. That's a amalgamation, uh, amalgama- That's a good word you use. I can't yep. to say that. <laughs> um, but that is uh, that's how I would describe. So uh, our textbook has a chart that I that I took yeah. a picture of um, for the American workforce and it shows that the percent of uh, farmers, the percent of people who farmed for a living in 1900 was over 40%, and it's below 10% by 1960. Wow. Um, wow. So given 1900 is after this period ends, but it's, it's something to see as far as where we're going okay. um, because of the changes of period six, because of industrialization and the building of cities and all that stuff, yeah. you see less of a need for farming and, uh, more of a need for a lot of jobs that didn't exist before right. the Civil War right um, so some of these strikes so you mentioned the Pullman strike uh, there's the great railroad strike of 1877 mm-hmm. um, the these strikes are essentially unions trying to or or workers who are trying to get union rights um, workers trying to gain more rights for them whether that's workplace protections whether that's better wages um, a whole bunch of things and in uh, in opposition to those attempts, you'd see people like Carnegie and Rockefeller use a number of things um, yep. you, they could call in militias or guards to put down strikes, they, yep. could, uh, they could use lockouts um, which would be closing a factory or breaking a labor movement up uh, before they can even organize to, right. to be able to do something, uh, they'd blacklist employees who were leaders in trying to create strikes and make it so they couldn't get uh, jobs elsewhere they would try to pit, um, they would try to pit a lot of cases immigrants against low wage workers, um, yep. in in ways that I think you could argue happen today too, um, as far as trying to bring in uh, immigrants for different jobs and then essentially bl- have have them be blamed for why, right? Uh, why jobs are not available or whatever.
0: And this is an um, an important thing uh, aspect of these giants of industry, these titans. Um, we often think about them in terms of their aggressive movements and decisions in relation to other companies. Um, but I think really what makes them uh, tyrannical in so many ways is the way that they dealt with their, their common workers is just obviously the, what they did to other companies was ruthless. Uh, but that is, in a lot of ways, mostly a financial uh, war that they're waging. But the the, the battles that they're fighting literally and metaphorically with, with the workers are just as nasty and awful as what they're doing to other companies.
1: Yeah, yeah and, and probably impacts more people than, than Absolutely. Specifically what they're doing to other countries, too. Absolutely. So, um, you know, as we look at business booming we also have uh cities booming because Mm. these businesses are often happening in cities and creating more jobs for um people in cities so um we have this uh this group of new immigrants essentially Mm. um and a lot of these people are coming from eastern europe uh so we have italy we have greece we have croatia we have uh, czechoslovakia we have poland russia different places like that um and the difference between old immigrants and new immigrants in this case um, is, is a number of things, but social class and language are two of the big ones yep. here. So a lot of these new immigrants are less educated. Uh, they're leaving countries who were often dictatorships um, or countries without as many democratic rights as the U.S., they are often illiterate, they're often poor, um, and they're seeking a better life here. But the, one of the barriers to them getting this better life um, are a number of things. They'd, a lot of them didn't speak English. A lot of them uh, did not have uh, skills, training, literacy, et cetera, to be able to get some of the better paying jobs. And right. a lot of them face prejudice and nativism from uh, from people already in the United States as well, hmm. since they were coming from... Uh, countries and cultures that I think the U.S. wasn't as familiar with.
0: Right. And it's definitely an interesting point to mention that, you know, with the influx uh, going back 650 to 60 years of of mostly sort of Anglo um, immigrants coming from places like, of course, Ireland and uh, and Germany. Uh, now you've got this new influx of more Eastern Europeans. And it's it's a quite a, an interesting dynamic between those natives whatever that means, uh, as they call themselves. Um, And then the new influx of Irish and German immigrants coming in the mid part of the 19th century. And then this new uh, influx coming towards the later part of that 19th century. And that makes for uh, some very unusual and obviously uh, tense dynamics between these groups of people as they battle for, um, you know, economic opportunity, social mobility, and all those other pieces. That makes for, this. and now you've got them to kind of, uh, tack on an even and bigger challenge is now you've got them living in cities. They are in um, contained areas where they they're going to bump into each other. So this is a a trying time as these groups kind of mingle around each other.
1: Yeah, and in response to this mingling, and in response to the factors that you just said, a lot of uh, legislations passed. So out West, we have the Chinese exclusion yeah. Act in, uh, 82, I believe. Not a good look uh, for the
0: United States. Let's just say that.
1: Not a terrible look for the United States. Yeah. Um, you know, placing a ban on new immigrants from China, um, out of, and that's coming out of prejudice. And it's yeah. also coming out of, um, the United States government essentially realizing that these people, uh, these immigrants from China are being treated terribly, yeah. um, because they're being blamed for a lot of the economic conditions, lack of jobs, et cetera. But thanks for Um, the railroad. That was really cool. But now don't. Yeah. 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 Really? Uh, Help, help with the infrastructure. Now you're out of here. Yeah. Um, contract labor law, I think 1885, 1885, I think, um, restricted the, uh, restricted workers from other countries because it was supposed to say, Hey, um, we want to make sure Americans are, are getting these jobs first. Yeah. Um, and then Ellis Island, uh, you know, a, a little towards the very end of the 1800s um, made a lot of people pass medical uh, tests, mm-hmm. sometimes made them pay taxes or entrance fees. Um, so we have a lot of, we have a lot of immigration, but also a lot of uh, reaction to that and a lot of restrictions to, Yeah. Um, immigration. You talked about um, how cities were built and how skyscrapers were built and all of those different things. I think one thing I'd add is um, the suburbs are essentially where people with more money were going as these cities were being built up um, because they could and because they have more space and because Mm -hmm. uh, they could get out of some of the ills that faced um, some of those cities as they were coming up. And in a reaction to some of the tough conditions in the cities. Uh, we have settlement houses and we have, um, you know, social movements that attempted to fix some of these problems. Yeah, it, we it, see- it really
0: didn't take long for the rot to set in in the cities, did it? I mean, we're, we're talking about, you know, 1870s and 1880s with the rise of cities, it's within 10 or 15 years when this realization is setting in, uh, whether that be public health or sanitation or or uh, political social stuff it's like whoa we really made a mess here very quickly now we have to do something to fix it
1: yeah and that that uh something would eventually lead to even more reform in the progressive era for sure right um so on on a positive side you know people are making more money having some more time so we see uh things like baseball and things like boxing Mm. um start to come out more leisure activities we have horse racing um we have a, a lot of sports that gain popularity. You know, for wealthy people, we have right. polo, we have yachting, we have all these other things. Uh, bicycling could be middle-class activity. Um, a, a number of things, but leisure activities right. are, are rising.
0: And it's time. interesting, like, in this time that we're living in now where we are stuck where we are with lots and lots of time on our hands, uh, the, the very idea of leisure time, of time that is not dedicated for anything in particular where you can choose to do what you want, is a very new concept to the American populace and at the end of the 19th century. It's, a, it's an interesting realization for a lot of us to say, wait a minute, there was a time when people didn't, couldn't or didn't. And it's like, no, <laughs> no, they were working. They were working all the time up until this point. They were, you know, tending fields. They were in factories. But the, the concept of sports and the concept of leisure activities is really, what, like 130 years old to the American public i mean
1: that's right about right about that yeah Yeah. absolutely which yeah that is really weird to think about in today's yeah current situation yeah definitely yeah um and and you know with all of these these issues in cities some people turn to politicians to try to fix their problems Mm -hmm. and politicians sometimes would try to fix their problems but there would be a uh but to that, the politicians would say, I'll fix this, but what are you going to do for me right. in return? Right. Um, party patronage is something that uh, is a good way to think about the the this era. And it's essentially um, if you are loyal to your party mm-hmm. and you follow everything and you don't try to rock the boat and you don't try to shake things yep. up, uh, then great. You'll keep moving up, uh, but just go along with everything. Right. Um, and this is a time where not a lot happened as far as political advancements um not a lot of things were there's not a lot of landmark legislation during this time um whether it's you know hayes whether it's garfield whether it's arthur uh we don't we just don't have a lot of big accomplishments to talk about during those presidencies um i think the um you you talked about the um the cross of gold yeah. and, the, and the silver, uh, debate. And I think that's one of the biggest things there were with the populist at West. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, again, not a ton of political, um, not a ton of political movements that are really worth spending a ton of time on. So I think the last thing I'd, I'd bring up would be the West. Yeah. Um, and the settlement of the frontier, which, which was, you know, in a post-Civil War world, there was tons of land available. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the western states that we know of now gained their statehood during the Gilded right. Age. So um, between, you know, 1865 and, and 1890, mm-hmm. uh, I think, you know, nine or ten states out west gained statehood during that time. Right. Um, so the mining frontier is a big, big piece. Sure. Sure. Uh, we talked about the Chinese exclusion. I connected to that, but we have uh, you know, the the gold rush of 1849, the San Francisco 49ers yep. um, are called that because of that big gold rush. And some of these areas where gold rushes hit uh, had some pretty crazy um, things happen. They mm-hmm. had a lot of lawlessness out West. Yep. Um, they had a lot of these saloons that you hear about a lot of the frontier life before society was big enough to really regulate itself uh, and that's why they call the wild west yeah and
0: it is a a bust and depression kind of cycle out there where um once these these precious materials are drying up in the ground they're just dumping they are literally dumping the the area and and moving on to the next one and uh the concept of the ghost town is not a is not a, a, a made-up idea. There are actual places in this country still where you can go and see essentially a preserved town, uh, mostly because they're in arid regions out west in places like California and Utah and Nevada. Um, but these places were booming, uh, you know, several thousand uh, people strong for a year or two, and then the silver or the gold or whatever dries up in the mountains, and, and people are literally just
1: <laughs> dumping everything they have and moving somewhere else.
0: So, interesting.
1: What... Which- is interesting to think about yeah. today because, like, there's no in today's society we're so settled yeah. compared to compared yeah. to everything else. Yeah. And on top of that point, um Frederick Jackson Turner's uh, frontier thesis is something that I think kind of helps explain some of what happened with Native Americans in the mm-hmm. West because he's essentially saying. The frontier in America always offered promise, it always offered mystery, it always offered this rugged terrain where people could go for a new start. And once we settle to the West Coast, that's kinda gone. So then you see Americans, uh, American presidents, American politicians look for new ways to get land. And unfortunately, one of the ways that they did that was to break trees right. that had previously existed and to to say, Hey, we're out of new ways to expand. So let's look at some of this land that's being occupied mm. by native Americans who have every right to that land. Um, and let's try to either assimilate yep. them. Let's try to put them into reservations and take more of their land. Uh, and it's one of the tragedies of American history right. with all of these native American wars that happen. Absolutely. Absolutely, um, whether it's, uh, you know, little bighorn, um, and the uh the wounded knee massacre that was the response. The little bighorn being a um a big ambush yep. of uh Colonel Custer and uh you know wounded knee being a brutal, brutal massacre where the US Army essentially kills hundreds mm-hmm. of Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Um Absolutely. is is tough and it wounded knees a turning point in the sense that it pretty much ended right. the resistance, right. the violent, the violence Native American resistance,
0: those absolutely. That was the the, the metaphorical straw, mm-hmm. if you will. Yep.
1: And the Dawes Act also was uh, was a brutal yeah. step in the sense that it was trying to break up organizations that Native Americans had and try to quote unquote civilize these people, which was coming out of a racist. Absolutely,
0: perspective. yeah. That's it was such a loaded term, civilizing another group of people.
1: And that's something I think we have both talked about in other classes we teach as well. The the idea, the the use of the words um, "civilized," the use of the word "savages" yeah. Yeah. Uh, often have the racial connotations.
0: Yeah, and that goes for whether that's our own history or, um, you know, you can speak to that in the uh, in TReb when you uh, you know doing um, South Africa or even Middle East, you know, Sykes Pico and things like that in the modern era. Um, there's just so many examples of it comes down to the us and us and them theory of of colonialism and, and cultural dominance where it's just a matter of having to de- depersonalize you know kind of dehumanize uh, de individualize that the the other group of people so that you can do things to them that are inhumane
1: yeah that's that's a, that's it unfortunately You know, we have in the South, we have, uh, you know, people leaving a lot of uh, some people call it uh, great migration as far as, um, you know, black Americans in the South uh, going north for both social and economic Uh reasons um, to escape. So Jim Crow is is booming during this period, unfortunately, um, and trying to escape some of the brutality of Jim Crow and also find new economic opportunity that that's now available in these cities. Um, And then out West again, uh, you know, farmers trying to fight for their rights. Um, Farmers created alliances. Uh, They created the Ocala platform, uh, which is when they met in a town called Ocala in Florida. Um, They wanted, you know, the, the demands of the populists essentially. So they wanted lower tariffs. Uh, They wanted an income tax uh, to try to, you know, get, get back at some of these, um, Get back at some of these really wealthy politicians and have them inject more money into wealthy businessmen yep. and politicians, inject more money into the economy. Uh, they want a more regulation of the federal government. They want a direct election of U.S. senators, some more power mm-hmm. to the people. Most of these things don't get achieved, but some of them do get picked up by the progressives. Mm-hmm. A bit
0: later. Absolutely.
1: I think we did an activity um, during. Uh, I'm trying to think I I, it was in January, but we did an activity where we looked at how no, maybe it was in February, but we looked at with progressive reform movements, how um, the stage was kind of set both during the antebellum era and during the populist Mm -hmm. movement, but neither the antebellum era or the populist movement got a lot done and the progressive era kind of took a lot of those things and then actually put them into action. But sometimes American society needs to stew on things for yeah. a while before big changes is Yeah, get funny paid. about that. <laughs> all right. it is. So, I mean, this week we got just the DBQ. Yeah, um, no, that's nice. And that's nice. We'll be giving you all more info on that, but you're going to be you know, writing a DBQ in the same way that you're going to write yep. it on the test. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, hey, I know this sounds weird, prep?
0: but maybe and this might be the case that the AP is actually doing something to help Students get prepared for their exam in a meaningful way. I, that might be a hot take in and of itself, but weird that, that that's finally happening, right?
1: <laughs> that's a yeah. big hot take. <laughs> College Board, if you're listening to this, please don't revoke our, uh, our licenses. Yeah. But, you know, that's I'm calling yeah. it a hot take.
0: Now, speaking of hot takes, uh, I'm going to go with the nature, and that just got me thinking about it when we we're talking about it with the out West and ghost towns, the, the nature of boom and bust in American history. Um, and the fact that we've managed to allow ourselves to think that the boom will last um, and make decisions that will make the bust seem all that much worse. Um, and as, as we're kind of wrapping up here, I, I just wrote down a small list of times within our own history um, that Americans, for one reason or another, have thought that when things got good, they would stay that way and then pay the price when it didn't. Um, and you think about the cotton market in the South and the um, early to mid 19th century, the, the boom of cotton is king and, and uh, thinking that that was going to last forever. Uh, moving forward to, as we just mentioned, um, the gold, silver, et cetera, happening out west and uh, you know, as far away as, as Alaska. Um, moving into the 20th century, you've got um, the oil boom in places like Pennsylvania, where it really starts in the, the later part of the 19th century, um, going down into Texas. Um, you think about the oil fields in Texas going into the 20th century and the the boom towns that were rising up um, around oil fields. And then uh, even even earlier, you've got mill towns. That, that that kind of sparked my interest in that as well was, you know, you look at the town next to ours. Uh, Winooski is a really great example. Um, my mother grew up in a mill town, uh, Sanford in, in Maine, that was like these massive towns that had massive mills. And um, everybody seemed to be doing great. And then one by one the mills start closing, and it's almost like the town dies as a result of these these mills closing. Um, and that, that sort of oh, yeah. modern day uh, approach. You think about um, the automotive industry um, in places like Detroit. Uh, you know, I've had fa- I have family members out in Michigan that that made really 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 great livings for decades and decades, um, making professional money. And I mean, like as if you are making a hundred thousand dollars by working. Uh, a year working on an auto line um, because everything was going well. And then suddenly the jobs start moving and, uh, and these people can't find work. And uh, I think the modern version of that is really the, the tech industry and these booms and busts that we have. Um, you think about the tech bubble that burst. When was that? Like mid two thousands when everybody was investing in these yeah. tech companies. Um, you know, a really great example of that is um, oh, what was it called? Uh, pets.com or petfood.com where they guaranteed free shipping on these pet foods. And I was like, wow, oh, that's a great idea. And then a year later, they're like, oh, wait, these bags weigh 60 pounds sometimes and weren't paying for the shipping. So they went out of business really fast. And it's like, whoa, that was really <laughs> stupid. Everything, But we get back to this idea of, to kind of circle back, when you're in the moment, whether it's cotton or oil or the automotive industry, um, your life is good and you think this is never going to end and then suddenly the floor drops out underneath you and you are desperately seeking resources and you don't have any income and things are are awful um so i think going back more than 150 years or the history of our country is is boom and bust and the 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 ignorant i i I hate to say ignorant but the ignorant simplistic simplistically ignorant view of if it's going well now it's always going to be that way and then finding out that very rarely does it ever stay that way for very long.
1: That's a, that is a very strong point. Um, I gotta, I gotta admit, I, I like to (laughs) compete with you sometimes over hot takes, but I like that one a lot. Um, what you have me thinking about is how it's so hard. I'd, I'd maybe even broaden that and say it's so hard for Americans to picture their conditions transforming whether, and I'd argue maybe whether for good or for bad. Um, but yeah, because like, I think if you had told me at the end of February, that we were going to be in the position we yeah. are right now in May, I'd be like, what yeah. are you talking about? Like, even when I knew what Coronavirus yeah. was and all that stuff, I, I would never have believed you. And, uh, and I think that right now, a lot of us can't imagine the United States returning to normal, yeah. but eventually it will. Yeah. And but it's hard to picture when you're in yeah. it and you're living it, it's hard to picture these transformational changes oh, yeah. and these big um changes. But I think you make a great point. I think people's unwillingness to prepare yeah. for and to realize that prosperity won't last forever um often leads to even worse mm-hmm. conditions, like you said, when when yeah, that prosperity ends. Um and I, I would probably argue that um that the gilded, A- my hot take might be that the gilded age, more so than any period in U.S. history, helps explain our current society yep. and country. Um, and I don't mean that entirely negatively, I think America is an yep. innovative country that, um, in which, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, arguing against capitalism by any stretch of the imagination. I think capitalism is a beautiful thing in a lot of ways. Um, in the sense that you have innovation, you Mm -hmm. have motivation to be great. You have motivation to, uh, create the best thing. And America has benefited from that. And and we are who we are today because of that. And you also have, have the downsides of that. You have a lot of poverty, you have a lot of, uh, wealth inequality Mm -hmm. of all that stuff. Um, And I think that that um, that that the there's a lot that's beautiful about um, America's economic system. And there are a lot of people who it doesn't work out well for. And I think that that sums up the Gilded Age and in a different way, but related way. uh, I think it sums up some of the things in American society that politicians are always. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of
0: sense. I mean, uh, before this Gilded Age, I think we are kind of beautifully innocent as a country. Obviously, the the Civil War radically changes the way we perceive ourselves and the way that we're going to go forward. Um, and in that vacuum that is created post-Civil War and Reconstruction, um, that vacuum is filled with 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 industry, with economy, and it is, um kind of sets the groundwork for what we're going to be and what we continue to be in a lot of ways. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of bad things that go with that, you know, economic disparity, the, that sort of, like, three percent of the of the people controlling 96 percent of the wealth that's obviously not great um, but you know wow. there's also a lot of things that that have driven our country you know forward that have made us who we are the economic superpower um, regardless of whether you think that's true or not we are still one of the top three economies in the world and we are um, we are that way because of the groundwork that was set during this time period for sure I completely agree
1: And I think, you know, one of the things about uh, one of the things that I love so much about the United States and I'd never want to live anywhere else is that uh, that we have done a lot of wonderful things and a lot of really Mm -hmm. awesome advancements. And we also always have a lot of work to do. And uh, and I think being patriotic, um, you know, regardless of political views, regardless of uh, social class, regardless of anything else is acknowledging that a lot of a lot of america is something we should celebrate a lot of the things that that happen here and then we also uh we also need to acknowledge things that aren't that or that are not worth celebrating and that we need to and and at the risk of getting
0: hokey here i think that is at the core the sort of dna of who we are as a country as a people and going back to the the founding fathers uh again same thing a lot of problems problematic pieces with how they viewed themselves and and their fellow countrymen uh, but ultimately they realized that um, the system was really really good but not perfect and that uh, the constant evolution of and uh, um, changing of this of this system was really what necessitated um, moving forward and, and developing and evolving as a country and as a society so I think um, it's kind of installed in who we are from the very early times of our country to, to the idea of of yes we're good but um, and what can we do to make it better
1: it's true it's true well hey we're getting yeah, profound absolutely, that's the gilded right? age for you but then and uh, said, like, all your listeners, so, so much good luck on...
0: uh, i i got nothing left i mean i'm going to have to lay down that's just too much much like the gilded age once i've done I know, this i got too. i can't be productive for the rest of the day cuz it's just a it's a sham it's an absolute sham i've got a little bit of insight on the surface but then you scrape underneath it and it's like a it's like an Easter bunny chocolate, you know. You get through that gold wrapping, and it's just hollow chocolate underneath. <laughs> and with that, we wish you yeah. luck
1: on your DBQs, and uh, we'll see Let you next week. Let us know if you
0: need anything. Recap. We're always here. I mean, literally, we are always here. <laughs> We're not. <moving>. All right. <laughs> Do well, everybody.